Well, how's everybody this evening? I'm living a dream. If you guys have uh, your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up Revelation chapter 13, and we will <coughs> continue. One of the interesting things as we study Revelation, it is uh, uh, Jonine literature. It's writing of John. John writes his books like people write music. A lot of people think of books as, you know, uh, a linear thing. It has a beginning, has an end, straight line, going through the events, we come out at the end. Usually that's how we think of, of a book as we go through it. But, but John writes symphonies. <clears throat> so he writes, and then he swirls back like he's doing a chorus. And he'll go back to something, and then he'll go on to the second verse. You guys tracking with me? And then he'll swirl back. So what we have as we go through, you'll, you'll, you'll know as we go through Revelation, we got six seals. And then you have a couple of chapters that loop back, talk about what was going on during that period of time. And then you come to the trumpets, and now we find ourselves in that section where John's looping back. He looped back and... In chapter 11, we saw the two witnesses. We saw uh, chapter 12, kind of a, a, a history, if you will, of the, the battle of Satan against God's purposes and plans and his people, ultimately. And, and then tonight, we're going we're gonna to be introduced to the beast. Um, and then he's going to go on to the seven vials, right? And then when he gets to the end of the seven vials, guess what he's going to do? You're right. He's going to go back. He's going to look back. So <clears throat> that's his style. All of John's letters are like that. All of them have similar structure where he, so it's just kind of the style that, that he writes. And so <clears throat> we want to remind ourselves as we look at it, everything we're looking at through until we get to chapter 15, we're dealing with first three and a half years. We're dealing with the front half of the tribulation, the seven seals, seven trumpets. So as we work our way through, just so you can kind of put it in some kind of a timeline in your mind, so you can see um, what, we're, what we're looking at, what we're talking about. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 13. We're going to look at the first beast this week, second beast next week, and, uh, and discuss those things as we continue our way through. So let's look at Revelation 13. We'll read uh, 1 through 10 together. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written 
before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword must he be slain. And here is the call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just lift this time to you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes to your word, Father. Open our hearts and and our understanding, God. Help us to uh, just see, Lord God, what you're laying out for us in the pages of Scripture, God. We ask that you would guide us and lead us and direct us, Lord, that you might be glorified in this place. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as we begin, we start off with the identity of the beast, the identity of the beast. We'll look at them, those first three verses. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, we talked about this before. When they write about the sea, they're not talking about the Atlantic, right? Not talking about the Arctic. They're not talking about the Pacific. What are they talking about? Mediterranean. That's theirs, right? If I'm John and I write, there's beasts coming out of the sea, that's my, that's my context. That's my context. So, but <clears throat> don't forget that since chapter 4, where has John been? You remember? In chapter 4, there was a voice in heaven that sounded like a trumpet and said to John, come up here. And then John went up into heaven, and that's where he's been since. <clears throat> right? Remember when we started in, in uh, chapter 12, when Jason did chapter 12 last week, how did it begin? There was this great sign where? In heaven. Yeah, that's where he's at. That's where he's at. So he's in heaven. He's, he's uh, seeing now. Now this is a flow from 12. 12 and 13 were flowing. Who's the dragon? Satan, right? Satan is a dragon. Now the last place we saw Satan is standing on the seashore. And the next thing that happens is the beast comes up out of the sea. What's the picture that's being painted? We have this battle that has been raging for a while, right, against the great dragon and the people of God. And as this battle has been raging, we're, as we move into the final chapters of it, remember we left, as we ended in chapter 12, how much time does the devil have? It says his time is short, right? His time is short. I told you we're dealing with the first half of the tribulation, so... At best, he's got three and a half years left, right? His time is short. He has great wrath. And so he walks over to the sea, and he calls from the sea this beast. And when we think about that, we don't want to lose uh, the, the context of the culture. The cultural context for Israel, when things came from the sea, that was the way to talk about the chaos. Chaos. Gentile nations. The the. They were not a seafaring people. They didn't have navies. They didn't travel to try to discover new countries. They were happy in their own little desert. And so that was a fearful place. And we'll keep that in mind when we read sections of Scripture. I, I, we know we talked about it, when we, when we, especially when we get to 20, uh, 20 21 at the, at the end. <clears throat> and he says, there will be no more sea. What's he saying? Is he saying there's not going to be beaches and the new heaven and the new earth? There's not going to be water? What's he saying? There's no sea. There's not any more chaos. It's like what, the, the, what it would coincide to for you and I. I remember growing up, it was always the, the monster in the closet. 
or under the bed. So if I use the phrases to you, yeah, there's something under my bed, you would you would know I was I was just feeling creeped out, afraid, like like the boogeyman's somewhere around. But we don't really believe that there's a monster in the bed. You get what I'm saying? So when they see this beast rising up, there's a lot of symbolism going on that God has traditionally spoke to the nation of Israel about. So when we do this, when we look at these things, it's important that we say we understand where God's talked about it before, what it meant then is what it means now. So we want to develop that as we look at it. So we have this beast coming up out of the sea. We've been introduced uh, to this beast before, and there's a lot of similarities with this beast, right? He comes out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, the ten horns are all on the seventh head. And you'll say, hmm, why is that? Well, stay tuned, and, and I'll tell you. But we have seven heads, ten horns. We saw similar descriptions in chapter 12, right? So there's definitely a similarity between this beast and Satan, and we'll see why in a moment. He has ten diadems. Now, different than Satan, Satan had uh, crowns where? Where were the crowns on Satan in chapter 12? They were on his heads. Seven heads had crowns. Now, here you have seven heads, ten horns, and the crowns are on the horns. That's important. That's important. It's, gonna, it's, it's all going to make sense, so just... Hold on, and, and hopefully we'll be able to pull back the, the veil and kind of flesh it out for you. It says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear, its mouth like a lion. Now, John just gave us context. That description gave us context, because you have a similar vision in Daniel with those same beasts. Same description. And we're going we're gonna to go there in a moment to, so that we can get what's, what is it in these symbols, what is, what is John trying to tell us? Because look, we go 2,000 years and our language changes, right? But what doesn't change? A dragon. Big red dragon wanting to eat a baby. We can figure out that's uh, bad, right? Okay? So it's, it's, it's not hard to recognize the bad guys and the good guys. Yeah, the, the white hats from the black hats. Are, are you guys with me? So that's why the Bible uses symbolism, because you're gonna you're speaking to to this message is coming down to us through the years. So he's got to use language that's also going to translate. So he uses the same language that he gave to Daniel, and we'll see exactly what he's talking about as we take a look at it. <coughs> so as we look at the identity of the beast, I want you to also see this next phrase. And to the and to it, the beast, the dragon gave his power. So the power that the beast has is given to him by Satan, right? Satan is giving authority to the beast, the beast that he's calling forth. So see the picture. We've, we've seen in chapter 12 this, this, this eon of time, the battle, the battle in heaven, Michael throwing uh, Satan out of heaven. We've seen all these things. Then so you see Satan, that big dragon, standing by the Mediterranean Sea, calling a beast out of the sea. Because that's that's this next portion, right? This beast is a part of, of where we're going and how we're getting there. It's all this symbolism. Satan empowering, 
Satan giving his power and his throne and great authority. So all of this coming from Satan. And then in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have been a, seems to have had a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So let's look. We want to see the role of Satan. Satan's calling him forth and empowering him. Everybody with me? Satan's calling him forth and empowering him. The, the vision is set there at the, at the sea, the chaos, the Gentile uh, hordes and humanity. The authority comes from the beast, and the appearance of the beast is similar. But remember I told you in 12 verse 3 it says, Another sign appeared to heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads, seven crowns. It's not the same. Similar, so the beast looks like him. It's important because that's where power and authority, that's who's calling him forth. This is a big part of it. But I also want you to see seven heads, ten horns, and on one head, the ten horns and the ten crowns, all comes out of Daniel. It all comes out of Daniel. Where the ten horns are always going to speak of the same things for us. Remember, Daniel had a deciphered Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you remember? And you have the kingdoms of this world all being ultimately destroyed by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Remember the rock not made with hands? What did what was the last thing we talk about in that? We got the head of gold, chest of silver, head of gold Babylon, chest of silver, Medo-Persian, we got the the where we bronze, Greece and then iron, Rome and iron mixed with clay, something else. Something different than Rome, but there was something special. You remember? Had ten toes. Ten toes were ten kings. In Daniel, if we just take a a look at Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, we have a similar vision about a beast that has ten horns, and Daniel defines it for us. He says, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong, Great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So I considered the horns, and behold, there came up one from among them, another horn, a little horn, and before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and the little horn, in the little horn, had eyes, eyes like that of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous things. And then we get into the end, Daniel chapter 7, we'll look at it in a moment, in like 27 or so it says, the horns are ten kings who are not yet. It's where we get the idea of revived Rome. Keep Just track with me as we look at all of Daniel's visions. We have a statue, head of gold, chest of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then you have lower part of the legs and feet, iron mixed with clay. A rock from the heavens, not cut out with hands, smashes it, destroys it, and it grows into a kingdom that fills the whole earth. What's that saying? One day all the kingdoms of man, which are always depreciating, always going down in value, and they're always, nothing lasts, right? The head of gold didn't last the whole forever. No kingdom lasts forever. It's always man's government is always deteriorating. Can you see that? That's not hard to see, right? You need to see it, turn on the news, watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they'll tell you the same thing. Won't they? 
Government is always deteriorating, wanting to become something great, but never quite becoming that great thing. What is the great kingdom? The kingdom of Jesus Christ that will come. Later on in Daniel, he has visions of beasts. God looking at those same kingdoms, and he describes them as beasts. The kingdom of Babylon was described as a lion. The kingdom of Medo-Persia was described as a bear. The kingdom of Greece was described as a leopard. And then this last beast we just read about, different from all the others. Something else entirely. But it has ten horns, and the ten horns are ten kings. And the statue had ten toes. In the last era, the statue had ten toes. There's a, somehow a tenfold division. <clears throat> Iron mixed with clay means it's going to be like Rome, but not Rome. Are you with me? Sometimes people talk about a revived Roman Empire. You guys heard that phrase? So the Roman Empire was a big empire, right? So they say that, and we'll, hopefully I'll develop it for you more and you can kind of see it a little more plainly. But that's the statue. Gold moving through these four kingdoms. God tells us who the kingdoms are. We don't got to guess. And as we go through, he describes it. In fact, he describes it so well, they started saying that Daniel was written by somebody after all this happened because he described it so well. So it's not difficult for us. He talks about, he talks about Alexander the Great. Daniel does. He describes the, the division of, of Greece in the four parts. He describes the Medo-Persian Empire. And he describes the Medes phasing out and the Persians phasing in and ultimately becoming the Persian Empire. All that stuff that happened historically, Daniel talks about. And God utilizes beasts to envision those kingdoms. He uses beasts to describe them. This is a kingdom, the kingdom that comes, a kingdom that's moving. What's the attitude of this beast? The attitude of this beast, it says he has a name on his heads of blasphemy. So the, the, the attitude of the beast and of every one of these kingdoms has been a radical rebellion against God. All the kingdoms that we're going to look at today that I think are represented by the seven heads. All of those kingdoms have blasphemy written on their heads. What were they? Rebelling against God. Every one of them. <clears throat> Later on, we're going to talk about Jerusalem. The Bible's really a story of two cities, right? Jerusalem. What's the other one? Guess. Oh, close. Babylon comes up even more than Egypt. So you've got Babylon, which is like the Tower of Babel, the rebellion against God. And Jerusalem, the city of God. And so dividing the, the world into two cities. You're either rebellious against God or you're governed by God. You kind of get the idea? <clears throat> you're in one of those two camps. Well, what's going on with these guys? They are in that camp of rebellion against God. They had blasphemy. They're speaking against God. They despise Him. They hate Him. They taunt Him. They reproach Him. And when the end comes, they're calling out... To the God of suicide to save them. But they are not willing to bow the knee to the Lord. What is it they said at the end of chapter 6? Rocks fall on us. Mountains fall on us and hide us. Because we don't want to bow the knee. We'd rather die without God first. That's the rebellion. And God says, and still they would not repent. Because overall, God's view is if you'll repent, you'll call on me, I'll save you. I'll save. 
But they have, that's what marks these kingdoms, and that's what marks this beast. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us some insight. It says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. (laughs) And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So we have a picture of the Antichrist, which will ultimately be the leader of this kingdom. Remember the little horn had eyes, pulled up three of the horns and took power? That's what Daniel was talking about. So this Antichrist is going to start as one of the ten. But then he's going to take out three, establish his own power, and he's going to take over. And then he'll be the guy. And he, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, will stand in a temple one day that doesn't exist currently and declare himself to be God. And what did Jesus say about that day? Jesus talked about it. What did he say? He said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, what did he tell the people? Run. Don't go in and get your jacket. Don't pack. Don't wait around. He said, get out get away and see little hints of that in revelation chapter 12 that the devil's gonna start that halfway point cast out of heaven the halfway point he's gonna think the fire is gonna get turned up and we'll see tonight hopefully you'll see how much actually that's gonna happen so there's this incredible relationship between this beast and the beast of daniel I shared with you out of Daniel uh, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, you know, the idea of the lion, the bear, and the leopard. If you look at at verses, well, let's look at the first few uh, visions. In Daniel 7, 3, it says, And four great beasts come out of the sea. Same sea. Are you tracking with me? Same deal. This is how we know what things mean. We just let the Bible tell us. We don't got to guess. Different from each other. The first was like a lion. Babylon, had eagle's wings, and I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. You remember there was a time period where Nebuchadnezzar was crazy, thought he was an animal, and then God stood him back up and showed him that he still had his kingdom. So we have the Babylonian kingdom. It says, then I saw another beast, a second one, like a bear. Raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth and between its teeth, and it was told to rise, devour much flesh. So we have the Medo-Persians. Medo-Persians come after Babylon. The Medes and the Persians were united at one point, but the Medes kept getting weaker, the Persians kept getting stronger. The bears higher on one side because the Persians eventually take over. And they boasted a million-man army in the ancient world. this, This was no, it's not a little thing. These were global kingdoms, world rulers. For their time, this is, we don't have anything like it today. Not us, not Britain, not, and nothing that that ruled (coughs) with the authority that these kingdoms had at this time and in that area. Then he said, I saw another like a leopard, had four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast (coughs) had uh, four heads and dominion was given to it. So, later on, he's going to describe this. He's going to talk about the leopard conquering fast. Does that remind you of anybody? 
Alexander the Great. You, you can actually read a better history about Alexander the Great reading the scripture out of Daniel as Daniel describes his conquest and the fact that he has no children and so he's going to divide his kingdom between his four generals. Four wings on the back, divides the kingdom, gives it over. Pretty incredible. We, remember, we went through Daniel on Sundays as a precursor to get us ready as we were <clears throat> starting our study here. And then the fourth one, this beast. So when in Revelation John talks about the same thing, lion and bear and leopard, it should take us to Daniel. And we look at Daniel and go, oh, look at the beast and look at the fourth one, ten horns on one head. And then the description that those ten horns are ten kings. So we want to see it. Now then the next thing we see is one of the heads receiving a deadly wound. Right? We've all heard about this before. There's really two views in this area and you will find I am non-traditional. So I don't think this beast is a man. I think there's pictures of the Antichrist in the beast. and that, But I think the beast is the kingdom. Just like the lion was a kingdom of Babylon. Just like the bear was a kingdom of the Medo-Persians. Just like the leopard was the kingdom of Greece. Just like this horrific beast was Rome and, and part one and Rome part two, if you will. So, <clears throat> but there's, there's a couple of views. One view is it, it refers to a person. This is talking about the Antichrist. He receives a deadly wound and he somehow... Uh, recovers from that deadly wound, and so, you know, he becomes more of a uh, Messiah figure for the people. That the people see him recovering from, from this wound. So they have a view that, 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 that this is a person, that the, the heads are, are a person. And I'll, I'll share with you in a moment why I don't think that. The other view is the heads all refer to nations. The beast is a kingdom. And, uh, and hopefully I can, I can show you why I say that. So <clears throat> we're going to look at <clears throat> Revelation chapter 17. Because Revelation 17 is going to speak about this same issue. So if we look at Revelation chapter 17 beginning at verse 8. It's talking about this same beast. It says, the beast that you saw was. So it's existed in the past. You with me? Is not. And is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go into destruction. Now, all of that is telling us that these kingdoms are all satanic. They are all given authority and power by the devil. They are all in rebellion against God. Doesn't mean God didn't have a witness there. Doesn't mean there weren't uh, powerful men of God during that period of time. But the kingdom itself was in rebellion against God. He goes on and he says, And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was, is not, and is to come. So the idea that the beast was here, then the beast wasn't here, then the beast came back. So stay with me. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The heaven, seven heads are seven mountains Upon which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five who have fallen. One is. And the other has not yet come. Scripturally and prophetically. When we talk about kingdoms. We'll see it as we work our way through other uh, areas of prophecy. Kingdoms are. Uh, uh, mountains are referred to as kingdoms. The woman who rides a beast sits on. Seven mountains. 
It's, it's not a reference to Rome. Rome is built on seven hills, not seven mountains. These seven mountains are saying that the woman who rides a beast, this attitude of rebellion against God, has been throughout seven kingdoms. We've seen it all the way through the scripture. Five of those kingdoms have fallen. He says there are seven kings, five have fallen, right? We look at those five fallen. Egypt, world, empire. Remember the exodus? Assyria, world empire, conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians, they're gone now. The time of John's writing this, the Medo-Persians are gone. The Greeks are gone. Five kingdoms have been that were in rebellion against God, who were in opposition to God and His purposes and plans. Those five kingdoms are gone. One is, what kingdom existed at the time John's writing? Rome. Rome's in charge, right? So he said, five have fallen. One is, and there's one to come. All right? Are you tracking with me so far? So seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he comes, he will remain only a little while. <coughs> How long is that seventh kingdom? How long is tribulation? Yeah, it's definitely not an equal to the thousand years of Rome, is it? Or the hundreds of years of, of uh, Assyria and Babylon? Seven years is kind of short time, Right? So he's only going to be around for a short time. As for the beast that was, is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Now don't confuse yourself. It belongs to the seven. Now he's talking about the person. Where was the person on the seventh kingdom? What was he, according to Daniel? He's one of the horns, right? Ten horns, ten kings make up the seventh kingdom. One of those horns is the Antichrist. What's he going to do? He's going to rise up, pull out three by the roots, take over the whole thing, and that whole kingdom is going to become his. That's what it's saying. That whole kingdom is going to become his. So when we talk about the head that receives the death wound, that's Rome. The beast that was and is not, you have Rome going and it seems like it's going to last forever and then Rome's gone. And there's not really another kingdom like them. There's some examples, Ottoman Empire, sure. Is it a big empire? Yes. The Britain Empire, is it a big empire? Yes. But none of them had the authority of Rome. Nobody was like Rome again. In fact, in the history books we wrote at the fall of the Roman Empire, there'll never be another other world kingdoms like there were then. But the Bible says there will be one more. There's one more. The head that was dead is going to come back. That's where we get the idea of a revived Roman Empire. Somewhere from the... Rome was big, right? So it could be Europe, it could be Middle Eastern, it could... There's a lot of places it can spring forth from and still be a part of the Roman Empire. We thought in the times past it's going to be the European Union. We thought in times past it's going to come out of the United Nations. Somewhere, all we know for sure is there's going to be ten kings, right? That band together are iron, they're little Rome, but they're mixed with clay. That's weak, right? Iron and clay don't mix too good. So they come together, but they're not real strong. They're not super powerful. 
it's, it's going to be the kingdom that comes on the scene, and then the Antichrist pulls out three horns and takes it over. And he stands in Jerusalem in the temple of God, and he declares himself to be God. And Jesus said, when that happens, everybody who's in Israel, run. Get away. This is what John is seeing. This epic battle between the dragon and, the, and, and God, ultimately. This epic battle that's been going on through the eons, through kingdoms, through kings, through time. Now we see the dragon calling forth this beast, the seven heads speaking. Have we seen this beast before? The first head was Egypt. Second head was Assyria. What were all those guys doing? Trying to wipe out God's people. Trying to destroy those purposes. Trying to destroy the nation of Israel. On and on and on we go through the descriptions that Daniel gives us. So we see this revived Roman Empire. In Daniel 7.24, I just want you guys to see this. It says in Daniel 7.24, it says, As for the ten horns... Out of this kingdom, this final kingdom, ten kings will arise. I'm not making it up. And another will come after them. He will be different from the former ones. And he will put down three kings. A little horn speaking pompous words. He's described over and over again in the Bible. We call him the Antichrist, the son of perdition. A lot of different names. But this will be that final global ruler in rebellion against God. So we see this. I just want you to see that this hopefully that helps kind of get a in a in a picture. Let's let's try to I'll try to get you the rest of the picture right now. What else do we see? There's an influence that the beast has. What's that influence? That influence it says in verse four, and they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? So when this kingdom comes back on the scene, the power and majesty with which it comes back, people are enamored with it. People are enamored. Look, the world is clamoring for this right now. The world right now is looking for where is leadership from the world going to come that can bind us together. Because currently, we're fractured. Right? Everywhere. It's not just in the U.S., Everywhere there's a fracture and there's a desire among the people to be united. Now that desire to be united is not new. Genesis, mankind all wanted to be united too in rebellion against God. Do you know where? Babel. You remember? They had a king named Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, Nimrod. Mighty hunter against the Lord. Raising up the people to build himself a tower into the heavens, a ziggurat up into the heavens, <clears throat> defining their own worship and moving away from the worship of God. And, and the hearts of men were evil continually, right? And, and God came down and put a stop to it. You remember? Babel. Later on, in that same area, there's another city built called Babylon. Babel, same place. Same area. What is it? Rebellion against God. What's the kingdoms? Rebellion against God. Man's desire to come together and rule himself. We don't need you. We got it figured out. There's been seven kingdoms like that. There's one more coming. And that's the beast. 
this, this first beast. Now, the, the guy who's controlling the beast, the horn, well, that's the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist. And in, the, and in chapter 17, we're going to see there's a woman riding the beast. And we'll see that that is a false religious system that's always been a part of state rule. Didn't Rome have a false religious system? What about Egypt? What was the false religious system of every one of those kingdoms? What did they all have in common? Who was, who was Pharaoh? God. Who was the king of Assyria? God. Who was the king of Babylon? God. You see, you're starting to see something running in common? What's the Antichrist going to stand up and declare himself to be? God. Is that new? That's not something new that's happened. That's been going on through the hearts of man since the beginning. But we're finding ourselves in the final act of rebellion against God. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me okay? I wasn't going to go all the way to verse 10. I'm not sure I can make it. So, but I want you to see that how do the people respond to this? What does it say? They worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? They're worship, they'll worship any. Look, I don't care. As long as I don't got to worship that Jesus guy. Right? Rebellion. And who's going to do it? The scripture tells in verse 3 and 4, it says, All the world is going to worship the beast. What was, it, what was Rome's goal when they had Caesar worship? What was the point of all of that? What was the point to get people to worship their nation? We have anything like that in the U.S.? Come on. Look, man, I bleed red, white, and blue too, but at least I can recognize, man, that's not something new. Patriotism is not something new. And I'm not saying patriotism is necessarily in and of itself bad. But you can see where it can go, right? That's where it went for them. <clears throat> in that rebellion, ultimately, um, that rebellion against God. So men <clears throat> desire to worship the beast, to worship Satan for the power that he displays. Look at verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. How long? 1260 days, how long? Time, times, and half time, how long? Look how smart you guys are getting. I throw numbers at you, and you know what he's talking about. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. He's going to have authority. He's going to be able to do what he wants to do. In fact, the scripture is going to describe even a little more than that. This, this will be the, the last part that we look at. I'm going to look at these, these scriptures in Daniel, but Daniel says of the little horn. Describing the little horn that pulls up the other three. It's pompous words. Declares himself to be God. Thinks of himself as the willful king. Higher than everybody else. This is going to be the attitude. Was that Nebuchadnezzar's attitude? What about Pharaoh's attitude? What about Alexander the Great's attitude? Yeah. What do they all have in common? The same thing. The same thing. Leadership and rebellion against God. So, what's the authority he exercises for 42 months? And he has anger towards God. Anger towards God. Last one we're going to look at. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. He hates God. 
the kingdoms hated God. That's why God saw them as beasts. We might see him as a golden statue. This incredible ivory kingdom that's been built. But God sees them beasts. Tearing apart one another. Destroying one another with a heart of rebellion. In a heart of rebellion. Now, <clears throat> that's not the worst news. Because the next verse, i got to spend a little time on. So the next verse says he's going to make war with the saints. What else does it say? Oh, yeah. You want to know what overcome means? Look at chapter 11. In chapter 11, same exact word is used about the two witnesses. The Antichrist comes against them and he overcomes them. And what happens? He kills them. So what's the Antichrist going to do to believers? Next week we'll take a look at it. But I think he's going to kill them all. Everyone. All of them. We'll look at that next time <clears throat> then but keep in mind all of this fulfilling a purpose right we're coming to that kingdom not made with hands who ruler in that kingdom lasts forever it's not temporary like ours and that kingdom's not a beast that kingdom's a mighty mountain with a true and just king that's what we long for. That's what we look for, the return of the king. So the, just our first part of looking at the beast, we'll look at it a little more next week, and maybe we'll, we'll get a look, chance to look at the second beast as well. But hopefully I have intrigued you with some of those ideas. We want to be careful, guys, when we come to Scripture. A lot of times <clears throat> we have our own tradition and ideas, and it blinds us to being able to see anything else. Where do we want to get our knowledge from? The Word. What's the Word say? What's the Bible teach? Uh, there's a lot of guys... I like to listen to that don't teach what I just taught. I don't know why. But I think what I just taught is right there in the page. Right here. Here's where it's talking about it. I'm not, I'm not drawing crazy links somewhere else. I'm saying, look, this is what the Bible is saying about itself. This is how it's describing it. That's the way we want to come to the Word. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you for the opportunity to study your word, the opportunity to look. And God, there's so much here for us to glean here in chapter 13 and also chapter 14 and 15 and on and on it goes. There's, there's just an endless uh, opportunity for us to come and understand you, Lord. Because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, of the things which must take place. This is a, a path, a road that mankind is going to walk through. And I thank you, Lord, that your word also declares that you know how to save the righteous and deliver the wicked for judgment. You know that the only way man gets righteous is because man has a relationship with you. And you who knew no sin, clothe me in the righteousness of God. <clears throat> we know, Jesus, that you said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world because it's already condemned. And we're reading that condemnation right now, that final judgment. We're reading it. That judgment will come. But Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. It's already condemned. I came to save it. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, 
shall be saved. Nobody has to be there. Nobody has to go through. That's a time period, a place for the rebellion of man to continue. Well, we don't have to stay in rebellion. We can call on your name. You usher us from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of one of these seven heads, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of your son, into the kingdom that lasts forever. And you will deliver us to that kingdom where we will be with you forevermore. God, I just pray that you would challenge us, call us, deliver us, entreat us, Lord, to know you more, to understand these areas of Scripture. And as we understand them, Lord, allow them to be the things that propel us to say, look, I'm not there yet. That's why Jesus said, redeem the time for the days are evil. Take the gospel and share it with a world that is in rebellion against God. Pray that God would grant repentance to the hearts that hear it, that they would turn and live. Pray that we would have the boldness and the willingness to go, to fulfill the will of God, to share good news with the world that is in condemnation, under condemnation, even now. But doesn't have to stay there. God, I pray that you be glorified, that you be magnified in the lives we live out before you. Continue to raise us up, teach us to know you more every day, that we might glorify you with the life we live as we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.